Chapter Ten of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Ten. By the strong spirit's discipline, by the fierce wrong forgiven, by all that rings the heart of sin, is woman won to heaven. N. P. Willis. As may be supposed, the blind girl did not forget our little Gertie. Emily Graham never forgot the sufferings, the wants, the necessities of others. She could not see the world without, but there was a world of love and sympathy within her, which manifested itself in abundant benevolence and charity, both of heart and deed. She lived a life of love. She loved God with her whole heart, and her neighbor as herself. Her own great misfortunes and trials could not be helped, and were borne without repining. But the misfortunes and trials of others became her care, the alleviation of them her greatest delight. Emily was never weary of doing good. Many a blessing was called down upon her head by young and old for kindness past. Many a call was made upon her for further aid, and to the call of none was she ever deaf. But never had she been so touched as now by any tale of sorrow. Ready listener as she was to the story of grief and trouble. She knew how many children were born into the world amid poverty and privation, how many were abused, neglected, and forsaken, so that Gertie's experience was not new to her. But it was something in the child herself that excited and interested Emily in an unwanted degree. The tones of her voice, the earnestness and pathos with which she spoke, the confiding and affectionate manner in which she had clung to her, the sudden clasping of her hand, And finally, her vehement outbreak of grief when she became conscious of Emily's great misfortune. All these things so haunted Miss Graham's recollection that she dreamt of the child at night and thought much of her by day. She could not account to herself for the interest she felt in the little stranger, but the impulse to see and know more of her was irresistible. And sending for True, she talked a long time with him about the child. True was highly gratified by Miss Graham's account of the meeting in the church, and of the interest the little girl had inspired in one for whom he felt the greatest admiration and respect. Gertie had previously told him how she had seen Miss Graham, and had spoken in the most glowing terms of the dear lady who was so kind to her, and brought her home when Mr. Cooper had forgotten her. But it had not occurred to the old man that the fancy was mutual. Emily asked him if he didn't intend to send her to school. Well, I don't know," said he. "She's a little thing, and ain't much use to being with other children. Besides, I don't exactly like to spare her. I like to see her round. Emily suggested that it was time she was learning to read and write, and that the sooner she went among other children, the easier it would be to her. Very true, Miss Emily. Very true," said Mr. Flint. "I dare say you're right. And if you think she'd better go, I'll ask her and see what she says." I would," said Emily. "I think she might enjoy it, besides improving very much. And about her clothes, if there's any deficiency, I'll. Oh no, no, Miss Emily," interrupted True. "There's no necessity. She's very well on it now, thanks to your kindness." Well," said Emily. "If she should have any wants, you must apply to me. You know we adopted her jointly, and I agreed to do anything I could for her. So you must never hesitate." It will be a pleasure to serve either of you. Father always feels under obligations to you, Mr. Flint, for faithful service that cost you dear in the end. 
"'Oh, Miss Emily,' said True, "'Mr. Graham has always been my best friend. "'And as to that air accident that happened when I was in his employ, "'it was nobody's fault but my own. "'It was my own carelessness, and nobody's else.' "'I know you say so,' said Emily. "'But we regretted it very much, "'and you mustn't forget what I tell you, "'that I shall delight in doing anything for Gertie. "'I should like to have her come and see me some day, "'if she would like to, and you'll let her.' "'Sartin, sartin,' said True, "'and thank you kindly. "'She'd admire to come.' "'A few days after, "'Gertie went with True to see Miss Graham. "'But the housekeeper, whom they met in the hall, "'told them that she was ill and could see no one. "'So they went away, full of disappointment and regret. "'It proved afterwards that Emily took a severe cold "'the day she sat so long in the church, "'and was suffering with it when they called.' But though confined to her room, she would have been glad to have a visit from Gertie, and was sorry and grieved that Mrs. Ellis should have sent them away so abruptly. One Saturday evening, when Willie was present, True broached the subject of Gertie's going to school. Gertie herself was very much disgusted with the idea, but it met with Willie's warm approbation, and when Gertie learned that Miss Graham also wished it, she consented though rather reluctantly, to begin the next week and try how she liked it. So, on the following Monday, Gertie accompanied True to one of the primary schools, was admitted, and her education commenced. When Willie came home the next Saturday, he rushed into True's room, full of eagerness to hear how Gertie liked going to school. He found her seated at the table, with her spelling-book, and as soon as he entered, she exclaimed, "'Oh, Willie, Willie, come and hear me read!' Her performance could not properly be called reading. She had not got beyond the alphabet, and a few syllables which she had learned to spell. But Willie bestowed upon her much well-merited praise, for she had really been very diligent. He was astonished to hear that Gertie liked going to school, liked the teacher and the scholars, and had a fine time at recess. He had fully expected that she would dislike the whole business, and very probably go into tantrums about it, which was the expression he used to denote her fits of ill-temper. On the contrary, everything thus far had gone well, and Gertie had never looked so animated and happy as she did this evening. Willie promised to assist her in her studies, and the two children's literary plans soon became as high-flown as if one had been a poet laureate and the other a philosopher. For two or three weeks all appeared to go on smoothly, Gertie went regularly to school, and continued to make rapid progress. Every Saturday Willie heard her read and spell, assisted, praised, and encouraged her. He had, however, a shrewd suspicion that on one or two occasions she had come near having a brush with some large girls, for whom she began to show symptoms of dislike. Whatever the difficulty originated in, it soon reached a crisis. One day, when the children were assembled in the schoolyard during recess, Gertie caught sight of True in his working dress, just passing down the street, with his ladder and lamp-filler. Shouting and laughing, she bounded out of the yard, pursued and overtook him. She came back in a few minutes, seeming much delighted at the unexpected re-encounter, and ran into the yard out of breath and full of happy excitement. The troop of large girls, whom Gertie had already had some reason to distrust, had been observing her, and, as soon as she returned, one of them called out, saying, "'Who's that man?' "'That's my Uncle True,' said Gertie. "'Your what?' "'My uncle, Mr. Flint, that I live with.' "'So you belong to him, do you?' said the girl, in an insolent tone of voice. 
Ha, ha, ha. What are you laughing at? said Gertie, fiercely. Ugh, before I'd live with him, said the girl. Old smutty. The others caught it up, and the laugh and epithet, old smutty, circulated freely in the corner of the yard where Gertie was standing. Gertie was furious. Her eyes glistened. She doubled her little fist, and without hesitation came down in battle upon the crowd. But they were too many for her, and helpless as she was with passion, they drove her out of the yard. She started for home on a full run, screaming with all her might. As she flew along the sidewalk, she brushed roughly against a tall and rather stiff looking lady, who was walking slowly in the same direction with another and much smaller person leaning on her arm. Bless me, said the tall lady, who had almost lost her equilibrium from her fright and the suddenness of the shock. Why, you horrid little creature! As she spoke, she grasped Gertie by the shoulder, and before the child could break away, succeeded in giving her a slight shake. This served to increase Gertie's anger, and her speed gaining in proportion. It was but a few minutes before she was at home, crouched in a corner of True's room, behind the bed, her face to the wall, and, as usual, on such occasions, covered with both her hands. Here she was free to cry as loud as she pleased. For Mrs. Sullivan was gone out, and there was no one in the house to hear her. A privilege, indeed, of which she fully availed herself. But she had not had time to indulge long in her tantrum, when the gate at the end of the yard closed with a bang, and footsteps were heard coming towards Mr. Flint's door. Gertie's attention was arrested, for she knew by the sound that it was a step of a stranger who was approaching. With a strong effort, she succeeded, after one or two convulsive sobs, in so far controlling herself as to keep quiet. There was a knock at the door, but Gertie did not reply to it, remaining in her position, concealed behind the bed. The knock was not repeated, but the stranger lifted the latch and walked in. There doesn't seem to be anyone at home, said a female voice. What a pity! Isn't there? I'm sorry, replied another, in the sweet, musical tones of Miss Graham. Gertie knew the voice at once. I thought you'd better not come here yourself, rejoined the first speaker, who was no other than Mrs. Ellis, the identical lady whom Gertie had so frightened and disconcerted. Oh, I don't regret coming, said Emily. You can leave me here while you go to your sister's, and very likely Mr. Flint or the little girl will come home in the meantime. It don't become you, Miss Emily, to be carried round everywhere, and left, like an expressman's parcel, till called for. You caught a horrid cold, that you're hardly well of now, waiting there in the church for the minister. And Mr. Graham will be finding fault next. Oh, no, Mrs. Ellis, it's very comfortable here. The church must have been damp, I think. Come, put me in Mr. Flynn's armchair, and I can make myself quite contented. Well, at any rate, said Mrs. Ellis, I'll make up a good fire in the stove before I go. As she spoke, the energetic housekeeper seized the poker, and after stirring up the coals and making free with all true's kindling wood, waited long enough to hear the roaring and see the blaze, and then, having laid aside Emily's cloak and boa, went away with the same firm, steady step with which she had come, and which had so overpowered Emily's noiseless tread. That Gertie had only anticipated the arrival of a single guest. As soon as Gertie knew, by the swinging of the gate, that Mrs. Ellis had really departed, she suspended her effort at self control, and with a deep drawn sigh, gasped out, Oh dear, oh dear! 
"'Why, Gertie!' exclaimed Emily. "'Is that you?' "'Yes,' sobbed Gertie. "'Come here.' The child waited no second bidding, but starting up, ran, threw herself on the floor by the side of Emily, buried her face in the blind girl's lap, and once more commenced crying aloud. By this time her whole frame was trembling with agitation. "'Why, Gertie,' said Emily, "'what is the matter?' But Gertie could not reply, and Emily, finding this to be the case, desisted from her inquiries until the little one should be somewhat composed. She lifted Gertie up into her lap, laid her head upon her shoulder, and with her own handkerchief wiped the tears from her face. Her soothing words and caresses soon quieted the child, and when she was calm, Emily, instead of recurring at once to the cause of her grief, very judiciously questioned her upon other topics. At last, however, she asked her if she went to school. "'I have been,' said Gertie, raising her head suddenly from Emily's shoulder. "'But I won't ever go again.' "'What? Why not?' "'Because,' said Gertie angrily, "'I hate those girls. Yes, I hate em. Ugly things.' "'Gertie,' said Emily, "'don't say that. You shouldn't hate anybody.' "'Why shouldn't I?' said Gertie. "'Because it's wrong.' "'No, it's not wrong. I say it isn't,' said Gertie. "'And I do hate em. And I hate Nan Grant. And I always shall. Don't you hate anybody?' "'No,' answered Emily. "'I don't.' "'Did anybody ever drown your kitten? "'Did anybody ever call your father old smutty?' said Gertie. "'If they had, I know you'd hate him just as I do.' "'Gertie,' said Emily solemnly, "'didn't you tell me, the other day, "'that you were a naughty child, "'but that you wished to be good and would try?' "'Yes,' said Gertie. "'If you wish to become good and be forgiven, "'you must forgive others.' "'Gertie said nothing. "'Do you not wish God to forgive and love you?' "'God, that lives in heaven, that made the stars?' said Gertie. "'Yes. Will he love me and let me go some time to heaven?' "'Yes, if you try to be good and love everybody.' "'Miss Emily,' said Gertie, after a moment's pause, "'I can't do it, so I suppose I can't go.' Just at this moment a tear fell upon Gertie's forehead. She looked thoughtfully up in Emily's face, then said, "'Dear Miss Emily, are you going?' "'I am trying to.' "'I should like to go with you,' said Gertie, shaking her head meditatively. Still, Emily did not speak. She left the child to the working of her own thoughts. "'Miss Emily,' said Gertie, at last, in the lowest whisper, "'I mean to try, but I don't think I can.' "'God bless you, and help you, my child,' said Emily, laying her hand upon Gertie's head. For fifteen minutes or more, not a word was spoken by either. Gertie lay perfectly still in Emily's lap. By and by the latter perceived, by the child's breathing, that worn out with the fever and excitement of all she had gone through, she had dropped into a quiet sleep. When Mrs. Ellis returned, Emily pointed to the sleeping child, and asked her to place her on the bed. She did so wonderingly, and then, turning to Emily, exclaimed, "'Upon my word, Miss Emily, that's the same rude, bawling little creature that came so near being the death of us.' Emily smiled at the idea of a child eight years old overthrowing and annihilating a woman of Mrs. Ellis's inches, but said nothing. Why did Emily weep long that night, as she recalled the scene of the morning? Why did she, on bended knee, wrestle so vehemently with a mighty sorrow? 
Why did she pray so earnestly for new strength and heavenly aid? Why did she so beseechingly ask of God his blessing on the little child? Because she had felt, in many a year of darkness and bereavement, in many an hour of fearful struggle, in many a pang of despair, how a temper like that which Gertie had this day shown might in one moment of its fearful reign cast a blight upon a lifetime, and write in fearful lines the mournful requiem of earthly joy. And so she prayed to heaven that night for strength to keep her firm resolve, and aid in fulfilling her undying purpose, to cure that child of her dark infirmity. End of chapter 10